Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for hitting play and giving us a listen in a world with no shortage of entertainment options. My name's Glenn, and I'm one half of the Raised by Whoops fake radio show, the other half being my friend and co-host Andrew, who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have another interview to share with you today. The guest is Wes Tyree, an Asheville, North Carolina singer-songwriter and poet. Some topics we touched on in our conversation were Ken Griffey Jr., Cinnamon Roasted Nuts, Papa Roach and Linkin Park, self-doubt and how to overcome it during the creative process, and of course, we discussed Wes's music and his sundry creative and occupational endeavors. Wes's latest project is a vinyl reissue of his 2019 album entitled No Winners in the Blues. You can purchase a digital version at westtyree.bandcamp.com or you can pick up a vinyl copy by visiting fullspectrumrecords.bandcamp.com. You'll also be able to track West down on social media and the various streaming services. I had a great time chatting with Wes recently, and I'm excited to bring it to you guys. And now for the part of the intro I enjoy the least, which is begging for listener support. If you have a few spare seconds, please consider giving us five stars on Spotify or Apple. It boosts the show algorithmically and helps with our self-esteem. We also have a website, raisedbywhoops.com, where you can buy a shirt or a postcard or a mug. You can also drop us a line over there to recommend guests or share a story or any other comments you may have. Please no vulgarities or threats, though. Finally, the two songs you'll hear by Wes in this episode are Chestnut Street Blues and the title track of his latest release, No Winners in the Blues, and I'll play them in that order. Take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll be back in this space soon. Enjoy the show.
spend, but the bills are paid. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Smoke them if you got them, babe. Ain't no good Fuck it How it goes is how it goes Ain't nothing to do about it I'm here with uh, Farmersville, Ohio native, and Asheville, North Carolina resident Wes Tyree. Uh, Wes is a singer, songwriter, and poet, and his latest project is a vinyl reissue of his 2019 record entitled No Winners in the Blues. Uh, the reissue was put together by Full Spectrum Records out of Littlefield, Texas, and I've been enjoying the hell out of it since its uh, release in January of this year. If you're interested in purchasing some of Wes's stuff, you can visit westtyree.bandcamp.com or fullspectrumrecords.bandcamp.com. No Winners is a truly beautiful piece of art, and may I also recommend Wes's 2021 album and companion poetry chapbook, The Midwest Book of the Dead. Uh, Wes joins me now from North Carolina. Thanks for doing this, Wes. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for that that very sweet intro. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. No problem at all. Um, so before we get to some questions, uh, when I was doing some research in preparation for this, um, I obviously read that you're from Farmersville, Ohio, and um, which is a farming community of about a thousand people outside of Dayton. And um, it's kind of funny because I'm also from uh, a farming community of about a thousand people in Ontario. Uh, I don't live there anymore, but uh, it's called Athens, Ontario, but it 
was at one time called Farmersville, Ontario. So, um, and, and again, like I say, farming community, thousand people, um, which was kind of uh, a kind of a neat coincidence. Uh, and you also mentioned that you sang a bunch of uh, Conway Twitty growing up. And uh, I can also say the same. Uh, my mom was a big Conway Twitty fan. And uh, I, I remember her and I singing Hello, Darling uh, a lot when I was a kid. That was probably her favorite song. And then finally, um, I just, when I was uh, going over some of your interviews and you were mentioning some of your artistic influences and that kind of thing, it was just really uncanny how much how much similar art that we consume. I mean, from Andrew Wyeth and Jackson Pollock to Frank Stanford and, and, um, uh, Carver, Raymond Carver, the film Wanda, um, Towns Van Zandt, Five Easy Pieces, David Berman, Jason Molina. Um, the list kind of went on and on of, of similar things we consume. And then the strangest thing was that, um, when I emailed you, I was reading Ashley Bryant Phillips book, Sleepovers, and, oh, no shit. Yeah, and I, and as I was researching you, uh, I found out that you talked with her for the uh, Talk House podcast. So just a long-winded way of saying there was a lot of weird coincidences, and I thought, you know, uh, he'd be a real interesting guy to talk to. So, yeah, so thanks for joining. Kindred spirits. Well, I got to ask, man, who uh, who is your favorite baseball player? Favorite baseball player? Yeah. Um. Well, gosh, um, I'm like a... I grew up near Montreal, so um, I guess I was a big Montreal Expos fan back in the day. So probably like Vladimir Guerrero uh, Sr. might have been my favorite ball player back uh-huh. then. Yeah. I, I, was an, I was also an Expos fan, uh, uh, especially because I thought they had the, the coolest uniforms. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, if, if you were going to say Ken Griffey Jr., then it was like, man, like... Right. You really hit all the marks. Right, yeah, yeah. Um actually I did play that video game a lot when I was a kid though, the Ken Griffey Jr. for uh-huh. for Nintendo. But uh but anyways, um so uh just taking it back to Farmersville, uh what did your uh what did your folks do growing up? Um my mom was a my mom was a stay at home stay at home mom. Uh, most of my life, at least, she went on and got her degree in occupational therapy when I was in middle school. Um, but my dad has worked in uh, worked in the building industry, doing uh, kitchen and cabinet design. Okay. Uh, probably since his like early twenties, um, and then later on, probably around the time I was like fifteen, sixteen, they bought a small small business and. And did that as well. Oh, okay. Right on. Um, so they own their own business. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of more of a, a, a side thing. Um, nothing nothing super uh, fancy or, or extravagant. It was actually a, a cinnamon roasted nuts business. Oh, okay. So we would, yeah, yeah. We would do, uh, especially like the summers, we would do like... Um, festivals and events like in Columbus and Cincinnati art festivals, stuff like that. And then we had a, a cart at, a um, this place in, uh, in Dayton called, uh, called the Nutter center, which would have like concerts and basketball games and hockey games and stuff like that. So, um, I, that I was, uh, 
sell, selling a lot of nuts uh, before my songwriting days. Interesting. Okay. Um, and you had siblings or? Yeah. So I've got a sister that I grew up with and then uh, two half brothers from my dad's first marriage. Okay. Um, so when we were emailing back and forth, uh, um, we were talking about uh, my interview with uh, Adam Remnant and I asked, and Adam's a Dayton guy. And I, I asked him the same question. Like, did you, uh, did you grow up, uh, you know, listening to any of those Dayton bands like Guided by Voices or the Breeders or, you know, swearing at motorists? Like, w- was any of that stuff up your alley or? No, I mean, when you live in Farmersville, I mean, you might as well live uh, anywhere else in the country out in the middle of nowhere uh, where nothing uh, just kind of exists outside of the uh, the world of anything, anything cool and hip. Um, so I was not aware of any of those bands until much later, you know, until probably until about the time that I actually like moved from Farmersville, like to Dayton proper and was like, uh, you know, hanging out with other people in the, in the Dayton scene and getting, uh, exposed to those types of bands. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems to me that like, you know, Dayton kind of gets a bit overshadowed maybe by Cincy and Columbus and Cleveland and stuff. And I just always thought that it kind of punched above its weight in terms of like some of the bands that came out of there. Cause you know, there were some, some pretty big acts. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, all the bands you mentioned, uh, Ohio players, um, you know, Dayton from like the seventies onward had been a pretty, uh, pretty important, important scene for, for music. Right. Right. Um, so like, I always think of, of like, you know, uh, so you were in Farmersville and as you were saying, you weren't, you know, uh, necessarily aware of, of what was going on in Dayton, but like, I always think of like the age of 14 or 15 as kind of being, um, I don't know, like a kind of a transitional age in, in that, you know, some of the stuff we consume, some of the art we consume at that age has a pretty big impact on us. And, um, so I was just kind of wondering if you, if you weren't listening to, you know, gotta buy voices, stuff like that, like what were, 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 were there any seminal records or, or books at that age at 14, 15, that kind of, that made an impact on you? I mean, 14 was when I started playing guitar. Um, so even just having that in my life was, you know, a, you know, the, the seminal moment, um, you know, but I, I wish I could, you know, say that I was, uh, you know, listening to like, you know, super groundbreaking music at 14, 15, 16. Uh, but it, it couldn't be, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, it was like the, the, uh, you know, the, the era of, of new metal right. and, and shit like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, my mind was getting blown by Lincoln Park and Papa Roach and, and, uh, stained and, and bands like that. And, you know, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, uh, you know, you like, you got, you got to get, uh, um, you got to get excited about something. And, uh, you know, that was what, what drew me to, to playing guitar and 
Um, that's how I got, got where I am. Yeah. 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 I can relate for sure. I mean, you know, when I was that age, it was, yeah, grunge music or, you know, whatever, Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, uh, not too far off from, from some of that new metal stuff. So, um, uh, this is kind of a broader question, I guess, but like, you know, I, I know you're in North Carolina now. Um, just kind of wondering, like, what, what, um, like, how did Dayton, Farmersville, Ohio in general, uh, like, how does that sort of shape who you are? Like, in other words, like, what parts of Ohio do you carry around with you, you know, to the other place, like to wherever you are, um, you know, be it North Carolina or otherwise? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I'd probably be able to, oh, that's like something that I would, uh, probably could be, be better answered in a, in a writing piece or something like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, far, Farmersville, like I said, I mean, it's, you know, mid, middle of nowhere, small rural Ohio town. Um, you know, like, uh, I lived a pretty like classic American childhood, American boyhood, you know, like I grew up, um, playing baseball and, uh, grew up in a, a pretty wide open landscape. Um, it was pretty, I feel like that, that landscape is, you know, forever a part of me. Um, and yeah, when I moved to, to Dayton, which, you know, felt like I was moving to, to the big city, right. but, um, it was only, you know, 20 minutes from, from where I, where I grew up, but I felt like when I moved there at 19, you know, I'd really arrived someplace. Um, and, uh, it was a really cool, cool time to be in, in Dayton. There was a lot of fun, fun music, fun music happening. And it was a cool scene to, to be a part of. And yeah, I mean, I, I carry the, um, you know, the Dayton cityscape with me too, that kind of like, um, you know, the, the Rust Belt landscape and mood. I mean, Dayton has its own, its own mood. Yeah. Um, it is. I mean, I always, I, I feel like I said something to, in an interview with, well, I think it was when I was, was uh, getting interviewed for the, the uh, album bio for, for Midwest Book of the Dead when I was talking with, with Laura Barton, uh, the journalist who, who wrote, wrote the bio, you know, I was telling her that I feel like, I mean, this is definitely particular to Dayton, but I can see it being particular to Ohio at large. It's like, there's a, there is a sincerity with the art that comes out of there that gets mistaken for melodrama okay. sometimes. Uh, but all of that, that stuff is, is very dear to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't like I haven't spent a lot of time in Dayton. I've I've driven through it plenty on my way south and and but uh like I say, it uh maybe gets short shrift to some of the bigger cities in in Ohio, but yeah, anyways. Um So I I I think I've got I let me know if I'm if I'm uh if I don't have my facts right, but um so after Ohio, you went to uh um 
like Swannanoa for, for college? Is that? Yeah. So I moved to Black Mountain, um, which is about like uh, 20 minutes east of Asheville. And like, I mean, Swannanoa is basically in, in between Asheville and, and Black Mountain. Right. Um, well, I went to Warren Wilson College, which might as well be in Swannanoa, but it's it's technically Asheville. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. Um, yeah, because uh, I, I, I didn't, I'd never heard of Warren Wilson College, so I looked it up and uh, um, I just, the the town name Swannanoa is just a, it's a beautiful name. Uh, I'd love to have been from there, you know, instead of Athens or whatever, <laughs> but uh, um I heard you on another podcast uh, read your poem, uh, John the Philosopher, uh, and he was one of your professors at Warren Wilson, or sorry, one of your advisors at Warren Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, like, you know, you said that he was one of the bigger influences in your life, and I mean, that was a a really great poem. I, I thought it was a great reading, and it was a really interesting poem. And I was just wondering, you know, if it's too personal, you don't have to. But I was just wondering if you could uh, elaborate a little bit on who John was and, and, and why he was such a big influence on you. Oh, that's sweet. That's great. I love that. Thank you for asking me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So John was uh, my, my advisor in college. So I, when I first transferred to Warren Wilson, I was I was majoring in, in uh, Appalachian Studies um, and I had a diff- different advisor, but I was minoring in, in philosophy and, and John was my, my advisor for, for my minor. And, you know, I was probably, a, a, you know, like just about a semester in that I realized that what I had in mind for Appalachian studies was like not what I was experiencing in, in the program, which was more or less naivety on, on my part. I thought that I was, going to be able to like treat it like a master's program and just you know uh only do research on folk music and folk art and uh what you know obviously didn't have that kind of freedom and um you know I brought a lot of philosophy credits with me from from my community college and was taking a lot of philosophy classes and you know pretty much you know like switch my major to, to philosophy like my second semester and, and John was my advisor and, you know, I, I could, I, I could spend the rest of, uh, rest of our interview talking about John and, and yeah. the stories and the type of type of man, man that he was, uh, but he was more of a, of a mentor than, than anything. And, um, I just, I, I learned a, a lot from him. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, almost felt like a dying breed, you know, he's just kind of like an old, old school man of the world. You could talk to him about anything and everything from music to art, to farming, uh, like you name it. Yeah. Just one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And just a, a really, you know, the, um, in, in the poem I talk, you know, it's, uh, um, I can't remember the opening line, but uh, I think it's something like I used to sit in the company of a, of a man followed by a mur- murder of crows yeah. or, or something something like that. Um, yeah, John had a a, a, a tat- tattoo of uh, an explosion of, of crows tattooed across him, and there's a um, you know he he got that because he was a 
Lakota Indian, and okay. that was part of his his vision vision journey. Oh wow! And uh, okay. yeah, like listening to him tell tell that story alone. I mean, just a, a, a amazing man. Yeah, yeah, it's really uh, it's really sweet to have somebody like that in your life, and to to think about you know just some of the conversations you have with with people like that. Yeah. Um, was he from Western North Carolina, or was he? No, he was from. Uh, I think South Dakota. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. But he, I mean, he had lived 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 all over, um, lived lived all over. And then he, I mean, when I was there, he had been teaching at um at Warren Wilson for over over twenty years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I just I had to I had to ask more about him. He sounded like a neat guy. So. There's a. There is a cool uh, a cool story about him though. Or um, I was listening to I was listening to a podcast that I follow, which I'm also blanking on. I think it's called Drifters Sympathy. Oh yeah, with uh, Emil Amos. Yes. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was listening to an episode where he was talking about his ex- experience studying philosophy at a small college in North Carolina, which he left unnamed. Okay. But I was like, Oh, this is all sounding very, very familiar. And then he starts talking about his, one of his pr- professors um, and describing him. And I'm like, man, this is sounds just like John. Uh, and then by the end of it, I'm like, Oh, this was John. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And I, I, I messaged him on, on Instagram and we had a really cool correspondence talking about, uh, talking about our relationship with John. Oh, neat. Yeah. That's really cool. He affected people all, all over the world when he, you know, when he was, you know, toward, toward the end of his days. I mean, there were, there were people coming from all over the, the country, probably all over the world to, um, to to see him before he passed. Wow. Okay. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I guess I'll get to uh, just like the first time I heard um, some of your some of your music. Um, I think I was following the German label Dying for Bad Music on social media, and they uh, posted something about your album. I stood among trees. I think, and. I think that's when I first heard your stuff and I just listened and, and, you know, uh, knew it was right up, you know, knew it was something I, I, I like, I would like, um, started following your stuff then. And then you released home recordings, uh, your home recordings album uh, a year or so after that. Um, my question is like, um, I, I guess I just want to know like your process of getting into recording your own stuff. Like it's always been a little like recording, um, has always been a bit intimidating to me. And I was just wondering, I guess, I'm not much of a gearhead, but like I was just kind of wondering how you got into recording your own music and, and what that process was like, um, you know, and, and, and anything you could say on that. Well, when I did I Stood Among Trees, that was, uh, um, I did record that at a, at a studio in Asheville um, called called Echo Mountain, Um I was working with uh, on on campus with with a guy who had had recently graduated, and he was working 
at the writing center where I was working at as well, but he was also um, the intern coordinator at Echo Mountain. And so he was able to squeeze me in for a, for a session or two at, at, at Echo Mountain. And that's where, where we did, did I stood among trees and I actually had done a, so at that point, Orange Milk had asked me to, uh, to do an album for the label, um, just of, of instrumentals, uh, more, obviously kind of more, more experimental than the kind of straightforward songwriter stuff on, when I stood among trees and I had, had recorded some of those instrumental pieces at, at the studio and, I sent them to my buddy Seth Graham, who's one of the label operators for for Orange Milk, and he basically was like, "Yeah, I want I want the lo-fi stuff. Like, send me send me send me something from home." Um, so I, you know, kind of kind of abandoned those recordings and and just went to doing doing some lo-fi home stuff. Um, I mean, I would say that I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am about the most unskilled uh, home recording artist, uh, or at least those uh, those series of of tapes that I did. Um, I would I would not encourage anybody to to record that way, which is to say that I had no idea what I was doing. Okay, I mean those were all recorded to. Uh, I mean, most of them were recorded to. Uh, to GarageBand on on my internal mic, okay. just sitting in a room. Some of them, like uh, concerning the disputed photograph of Crazy Horse, like I I, I did with the USB mic. Um, but yeah, there was no process to it. Um, uh, uh, you know, like that's what I did with with O and I later, which I did with with Full Spectrum as well. Um, you know, I recorded my parts that at home and sent those to, to Andrew and my buddy, Richard, who, who did some of the instrumentation as well. And I mean, those recordings were graciously saved by, by Andrew's mixing and mastering skills. Um, so, you know, I had, uh, you know, even b- before I, I stood among trees, you know, I had done, uh, you know, I'd only worked in the studio. Right. Um, and so after, I guess it was after O and I later and maybe another tape tape or two, you know, before I went into, before I released black wind in, in 2016, I was like, you know, this is a studio album. Right. Like I, I can't just do this. There's no way I'm going to be able to, to accomplish what I hear with this record at home. So like back to the studio and I've basically just been doing studio recordings ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious because, um, you know, I, I'm not too interested in the technical side of things either. And I don't know, I've, I've tried my hand at some, some recording, but it's, yeah, it's, it usually turns out pretty messy. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Um, I I was just wondering, uh, so you've been in Nashville for about a decade now. Is that, is that right? Uh, 12 years, 12 years. Okay. Uh, Um, Earl. Yeah. Yeah, twelve years. Yeah, and you're still digging it down there. Like, y- you think you'll like 
do you have plans to stay there long term or or what do you yeah who knows man um i don't even really know where i would move to if i i mean i have i I should say that you know i don't know where i'd move to now that i have the opportunity like i um i started working remotely um you know the last uh two two years or, or so um and i do the kind of work where i can i can really live live anywhere but I will say like now that I do work remotely and I do travel a lot for work, um, uh, I do get to enjoy Asheville like on my own terms and it's a really good, it's a good home. It's a good home base. You know, it's a good place to come back home to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got, I got pretty, uh, uh, you know, I was just, just in Texas, uh, end of January doing, doing a tour, um, quick, quick run of dates with, with Andrew for, for no winners. And, uh, I had, you know, I was really taken with, with Alpine, Texas. That's um, West, that's West Texas. Like, yeah. 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 It's like near, near Marfa. Right. Right. Really cool town. Had a, had a blast there. Um, so, you know, Maybe Alpine one day, but uh, you know Asheville's still home for now. Okay, yeah, yeah. My um, my brother is like a he's a registered nurse, and and back in the uh, late nineties, he did some travel nursing, and he lived in Asheville for a year. And my parents and I went down to visit, and it it struck me as a kind of a cool town at that point. And then my partner and I went back down in twenty thirteen, and um. Yeah, I just it. I mean, it's kind of a smaller town, I guess, in a way, smaller city. But um, it it just it, it made an impression on me for sure. I I remember going to Harvest Records, really great, oh, yeah. really great record store, and you know, I drove by like the Orange Peel and Gray is Gray Eagle still there? Gray Eagle. Gray Eagle. Yeah. Gray Eagle. Yeah. Um, you know, and you mentioned Echo. Uh, what's the name of that studio again? Echo Mountain or Echo. Echo Mountain. Echo, Echo, yep. Yeah, Echo Mountain. Yeah, I, um, and there was a really cool guitar store like across the street from that. But anyway, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's moved downtown now. Uh, Payday Music. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it was just uh, just seemed like a cool a cool place to to set up shop for sure. So, um, speaking of your tour there in in Texas, like, do you like? that part of the job do you do you like the live performance aspect of things like are you um or do you just kind of consider it like a necessary part of the job or, or are you much of a traveler what, what like what's your thoughts on touring in general um i've never really cared for touring uh because i like sleeping in a bed yeah and, um you know rather than on a floor or a stranger's couch or, or whatever, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't do like touring when I was, when I was younger, you know, I always, uh, I was always so broke and, um, you know, I never worked jobs where I would be able to take off that much, much time or taking off time was just always felt so, so risky. Um, you know, and then of course, when I, when I moved down here and was finishing my degree, like, you know, touring obviously wasn't really, really an option. I didn't do like a, um, you know, I, I did a, 
a, a small tour in, in 2013. I did a tour in, in Italy in early 20, uh, 2014 or something like that. Um, did a tour in 2016 around Black Wind. Um, I got invited out to San Francisco to do do some dates in, in 2019. And, um, you know, this tour with Andrew was, you know, the first first like full on tour since 2016. But even then it was only, you know, five, six shows or something like that. Um, but, you know, it was Texas was you know, the, the dates were cool. Cause, um, you know, and Andrew's been, been doing it for, for a long time. And, um, he knew, he knew what kind of shows we're going to, we're going to fit and what kind of accommodations we were going to be able to get. And it was very comfortable and, you know, there weren't a, weren't super long drives and everything was super, super chill and, and low key. And it felt like every, every show was, was revitalizing. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I like playing live is great. I mean, sometimes, you know, there's been plenty of times where I've been asked to to do a show and, you know, the date comes around and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, like I, this is the last thing I feel like doing with my time. And, you know, but then by the time I, I get on stage and get in the middle of the set, you know, it, it feels, feels great. Um, so, uh Sometimes I got to talk myself in, into it. Yeah. Um, but Okay. And what, what kind of rooms were you playing in Texas? Well, they were all, uh, we, we had a great, a great spread. We kind of had a, we hit all of the like indie, indie marks, you know, we did a, we did an art space, um, in uh, in Lubbock that Andrew's one of the operators of, uh, we did a theater in Alpine. We did a bar in San Antonio. We did a house show in Austin and then a record store in Dallas. So okay. it's kind of, we hit, hit all of the marks. Nice. Nice. And full spectrum, like you, you did Texas because um, like full spectrum is based in Texas, right? Like in the Lubbock area or. Yeah. And Andrew lives in, in Littlefield, um, which is about a half hour out, outside of Lubbock. So I f- flew into, flew into Lubbock and, uh, he came and picked me up and, um, I actually was supposed to be in, uh, in Lubbock a, a day before the tour started, but I missed my uh, connection and had to spend, spend the night in, in Dallas. And then catch the first flight in the morning to Lubbock, and uh, just kind of hung out around Lubbock uh, and until the until the show, and uh, kicked everything off, and then headed out for Alpine the next day. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. There's a pretty interesting scene in Lubbock too, right? Like, uh, I think I know um, there's a bar there called like the Blue Light or something, and uh, they have like a singer songwriter showcase it, it like it um friday nights or something like that you know there's just some interesting music history there the the flatlanders and sure uh, yeah different different stuff like that going on yeah mm-hmm. um yeah right on um i i just had a question about um i ask a lot of musicians i don't i don't i haven't talked to a ton of musicians but uh but the ones i have talked to i i like to ask like 
what's your take on sort of your ability to create as you uh as you get a bit older like um you know are you uh as inspired as you as you ever were like was there a, was there more urgency say in your 20s or or um do you still feel as primed as ever to make stuff as you, as you as you get a bit older yeah um i mean i feel like when i you know when i started you know cuz i probably started like writing songs you know i put that in in quotes cuz you know it was um uh, i want i probably wouldn't want to actually if i looked at those i would probably be terrified but yeah by the time i got like pretty you know like serious like this is what i'm going to be doing for a long time you know by the time i was 18 19 um you know like it i mean i had days where i could write you know two three songs in a day and it was so it was so new like um i was still kind of uh, swim swimming my way through it um but i could also convince myself that if i didn't finish a song in in one sitting that it wasn't worth keeping you know or worth coming back to and you know i feel like over over the years and probably over the last five, six years, give or take, I've really kind of accepted, um, you know, time and, and, and space as, as a good friend with, with writing, um, and having a more kind of like discriminate attitude about what I keep or what I, what I come back to. Um, and more or less like trusting my process. Like I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of, of people who have the discipline to, to sit down and, and write every single day. Um, but I just, I've never really worked that way. And I've, whenever I've tried to, I've never been, uh, I've never been, been satisfied with, with what I walk away with. But, um, if I, if I kind of just trust the process of, you know, allowing ideas to, you know, to, to grow and, and, and circulate, um, and just to be ready when they're there. Um, you know, like kind of having, having the, the disposition that when, when a song appears that I get like, that's when I get to work. Yeah. Um, and then moreover, like the, um, the the editing process you know has become something that's that's very exciting to to work with um i feel like i i didn't have the same kind of uh editing eye when i was when i was younger as as i do now right right um, and that's that's a that's a, a skill itself speaking of editing um like i think i heard you say in an interview uh, you were talking about Raymond Carver and, um, you were saying that like he, he has the ability to really, um, you know, just a really economical way of writing and, and cutting, cutting sort of the art down to the bone. And 
I've always just been interested in that. Like I was just interested in what your perspective is on that. Like you, you hear that all the time as advice from other people. Like, you know, you've, you've got to revise and, and, and edit and you've got to get to the heart of, of what you're doing. And, um, I get that as advice, but like, it's sometimes I think about that and I, I worry that like, what do you know? Like, how do you know? And, and I know this is a tough question, but like, how do you know what to leave in, what to take out? Like, sometimes I worry that if I edit a lot, like I'm leaving some of my personality or my style out of it. Um, it's just a hard concept to grasp, like to, 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 you know, like, do you have any thoughts on that at all? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, Car- Carver being a good example, because, you know, from what I know of, um, I mean, specifically his collection, what we talk about when we, when we talk about love, you know, that's kind of one of the, um, you know, one of the like hallmark American minimalism texts. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that had to do with his editor, with Gordon Lish. It's like, if you look at the drafts that, that Carver, you know, initially had, and then the edits that, that Lish did, I mean, to say that, um, that, you know, that it was cut, cut to the bone further would be an understatement. Um, but also, I mean, you know, with Carver, like you look at, you look at his collection cathedral um, and a lot, there's less white space, you know, there's more of that space is, is getting filled up. The, the sentences are longer and there's a kind of softness and, and openness. And, and I love both, Yeah, you know, like, um, you know, like there are, there are virtues to, to doing that kind of heavy editing, um, or getting stuff like, um, super, um, super lean. And then there's virtues to, to the, to the opposite. Um, no one really is, is better than the other. I just tend to prefer that kind of leanness. I like, I like the way that that looks on a, on a page. Um, there's a kind of a aesthetic quality to it as well. Um, actually, I was hanging out with my buddy Ryan Gustafson, um, who's a songwriter here in town, goes by by the Dead Tongues. Um, oh, yeah. He was who, yeah, he was who uh, produced Midwest Book of the Dead and, and played on a lot of it as well. And we were hang, hanging out um, uh, before you and I started uh, started the interview, and we were we were talking about about writing because um, he's about ready to go into a a writing project and uh, we were talking about how like everything kind of um you know a lot of song songwriters they all come come back to the blues and to that that form um and there's a it's kind of like the the paradox of of constraint you know you you give yourself a a form so that you can be be free within it um and you know the blues is pretty cut to the bone yeah yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think it's, 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 it's not anything that I would expect anybody to, um, 
to always want to do. It's just like, um, it's, uh, just kind of been, been the, been, uh, the trajectory that I've, that I've followed with, with my writing. Um, and, uh, well, and, and moreover, like I, you know, especially with like narrative songs or songs where there's characters, um, you know, I like, you know, the reality is, is that like, there's stuff that happens in between the verses. Yeah. So you leave that space um, and you leave that openness um, and you, you have that kind of, uh, you know, vagueness, if, if you will, so that, you know, people that are listening to it construct their own feelings and, and stories and identities about, about the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Like, cause I, I heard you say too, that you, um, you like to think of your music as like a, a list, a listening or like an absorbing experience opposed to like a, an intellectual one or something. And or something like that. I could have that wrong, but, um, but that just really resonated with me because I, you know, I, like I say, I've been listening to um, No Winners in the Blues constantly the last few weeks, and and um, it just, yeah, it just it sets a mood. I mean, I, I don't know how else to uh, to explain it. Um, and, and the whole thing flows together really nice, and it's just a very pleasurable experience. And like you said, it leaves space to. Um, yeah, to, to interpret it how you want. Like, I, I think about like, um, I'm not like a film buff, but I, I don't know if you've ever seen any of Kelly Reichardt's films. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you talk with, with Adam yeah, Remnant about yeah, that? He, too? Yeah, he mentioned Kelly Reichardt and, and I just, and, and it's the same sort of thing, you know, it's like, it's just, she leaves a lot of space in her films and to just kind of absorb what's happening you know and uh um i don't know how to articulate it that well but but um no it don't make sense it makes sense yeah i mean it's kind of like a um you know uh it's like a, a mood a mood piece yeah you know or experiencing a, a you know a vibe or or whatever you want to call it yeah yeah for sure it, is that uh the listeners can't see this but is that your is that tonto the cat is that, yeah? <laughs> it is, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because he only does this when I'm in, in my office. Um, you know, whenever I'm in here specifically on, on, on calls for, for, excuse, excuse me, for work or, uh, music interviews or whatever, he, he has to stop what he's doing, which is usually nothing. Right. <laughs> um, and, and come, come make an appearance. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that about, like, editing. Like, like speaking of Ashley Bryant Phillips, too, I, I find her writing that way, too. Like, it's... Oh, she's so good. It's very... Like, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to that Sleepovers book. It's great. And um, she has that ability, too, to, like, just, you know, there's no flowery language. There's She, she writes how she talks, and um, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing to do, man. Um but she does it so well and uh yeah it's a it's just a really it's a really entertaining read so <clears throat> so and i enjoyed your your postcards you know back and forth there that was that was cool that was a cool piece you guys did 
Yeah. Yeah. That was all Ashley's idea. Yeah. So I got, I got to give her the, the credit for that. And, and yeah, what a cool way to do, to do an interview. Um, because, uh, it just meant that we, we, you know, like you're, you're limited to, to only so much space on a postcard, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, it, it just allowed for a way to just ask each other like really interesting questions. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me really pay attention too because I had to like zoom in on my phone because I was having trouble reading it. And I'm like, what the fuck does this say? And, but anyways, it was, uh, so you had to really pay attention to the words and, and I was, a, it was, it was a cool project. So, um, anyways, I just got a couple more for you. Uh, Wes, you've been, uh, you've been great with your time. Um, like I was just wondering, have you ever wrestled uh, with your ego, like in terms of your creative work? Like, I guess what I'm asking is like, and and I'm more asking for me because you know I, I struggle with this, but um, like just comparing your work to others or self doubt within your own creative work. Like, how, how do you deal with 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 that kind of thing? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I mean, doubt is its own kind of a virtue as well. You know, it can almost be a, a sign that you're, you're up to something good. Right. Cause you feel like you're, you know, you're take, taking a risk. Um, and so it ends up being something that, that you, I mean, you just have to, to, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had better advice, but it's like, you know, you're never going to get anything done if you just uh, submit yourself to, to that kind of doubt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like you don't, not everything hinges on, on, on one song. Um, it's all a kind of, um, it's all a kind of uh, an ongoing, uh, struggle, you know, or, or, or harnessing your experiences with your creative impulses. Um, and, and, you know, like you find out ways to, you know, you, you find out ways to get comfortable so that you can write yeah or you can or you can create um the last thing that i mean i i know that there's a kind of uh image of or ar- archetype of of struggle being the uh, and difficulty being the the thing that that um that you have to have to um to create but i mean Maybe when I, when I was younger, I would, I would trick myself into, into, into thinking that, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that that could be, I mean, obviously some kind of level of, of discomfort ends up being, being part of the, the equation, but, you know, when it boils down to it, like you gotta, you gotta find a way to, to be comfortable so that you can, you can create. And when you're, you're comfortable, then you're just, then you're free. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, and then it's, I don't want to say that it's uh, like pleasurable because I, I, writing can be very difficult. 
Um, and it can be very frustrating. Um, but when you give yourself that, that space to, to be free, you know, then you, then you work through those frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just ends up being part of the process. Yeah. 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 There's just a, I mean, there's just a lot of noise out there to compete with, I guess, you know, like, especially with all of the platforms and, you know, millions of people creating these days and posting stuff on, you know, TikTok, And it just seems like it's as competitive as it's ever been. And sometimes it's just hard to block that noise out and just create, you know, and, 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 um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't get into the business of comparing yourself or that kind of shit because I mean, you're not, you're not going to get anywhere. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, it sounds a a little reductive. Um, but I mean, the only thing you can do is just make the art that you want to make, um, and not give a shit about, about any of the other shit. I mean, because when, when you, you know, when you, when you commit to, you know, your own voice or your own vision, uh, or you pursue something like that, like, um, and let all of those other things fall away and reject expectations, um, and make the art that you want to make, you end up working with people who want to work with you for what you're doing. Right. Um, and the, and the, and, and people find, find your music um, or find your art or whatever. And it means that you are probably going to end up spending a long fucking time <laughs> doing it. Um, you know, I'm, you know, essentially been doing this for, for, for 20 years and, you know, always working, working a full-time job while I've been doing it. And it's really only been within the last, you know, six years, give give or take, that I felt like it's been a, a place where I'm kind of like, you know, comfortably getting my music out there and work working with with people who I love working with. Um, but I mean, that's just what it's, you know, just what it takes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we're almost at an hour. Um, speaking of full time jobs, though, do you have any advice on? Uh, for me, I'm I'm a huge coffee guy, but I was just wondering if you had any advice on um, what to consume, how to consume it, what to buy, anything like that, considering you're in the business. Sure. Um, well, man, I mean, there's so much great coffee out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I work, I work for um, a coffee importer called De La Finca Coffee. Okay. Um, we're a, a green coffee importer. Um, our our main office, or our only office, rather, is just outside of Raleigh. Um, so I, I work remote, um, doing green green coffee trading. Um, so I, I could plug any any and all of uh, my clients, of course, um, uh, who are who are working with us. But you know, I've been been in coffee for basically just as long as I've been, been songwriting, which is, you know, to say a long time. Uh, and when it, when it boils down to it, uh, you know, people just got to drink what they want. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody is, 
is going to when it when it comes down to it, nobody is gonna gonna judge you for uh putting cream in your coffee. Right. Uh you know, or buying Cafe Bustello or you know, what whatever. Um but you know, any any uh roaster who has got a um a, a you know truly direct relationship with with farmers that they are are buying from um that's always uh you know uh always a good a good thing to to look out for um because people don't really realize like um when roasters are in a in a position where they're like truly giving back to the communities that those farms are located in um and that uh it it makes an amazing difference uh in those communities it can be the difference between a school being there and a school not being there it can be the difference between farmers and pickers being able to send their kids to to schools um you know there are a lot of roasters who who say that that they do that um and they don't right but the ones that do um those are our are, are, are good folks to be be customers to for sure. Right on. Okay. Um, forgive my ignorance, but what like what's green coffee when you say green coffee? Yeah, so it's uh it's it's raw coffee. Un unroasted. Oh, okay, okay. I see. I got you. Yeah, so I'm I'm essentially uh, doing doing green coffee trades with with coffee roasters. So we we have coffee that we import. We also have a uh, an ex- export business in in Honduras, so we have farms that we own and operate and employ. Um, we've got over twenty um, small producers that we're working with that we facilitate direct trade relationships with, um, and so we handle export out of out of Honduras. And then we've got other farms and brokers that we work with for for other origins, um, and then. We uh, work with roasters, you know, mainly in, in the U.S., but also in, in Europe and in China. Okay. Um, selling selling directly to um, to to roasters. Okay. And, and do you travel at all for work? Like, do you go down to South America or Central America? Or I do. Um, I mean, the last time I went to Honduras was in 2021 when I started working with Dale. I think at full time. Um, I was supposed to go. Actually, at the beginning of this month, I was supposed to go with some clients, um, but we ended up having to cancel because um, we weren't weren't able to bring enough people with us. Um, but m- most of what I do is uh, is stateside, going to going to expos and stuff like that. I'll be going to New York here in a couple weeks okay. um, for an expo there. Portland, Oregon in April, um, and then pl- plenty of other places throughout the the rest of of the year as well you know sometimes just to visit clients sometimes to you know prospect an area set up meetings with with roasters and do coffee tastings and stuff like that um got some folks that i work with in tennessee that probably be taking them down to brazil um to in a state that they buy from yeah you know so yeah yeah that that also makes it hard to uh to tour when i'm pretty much you know nearly traveling every every month yeah yeah no doubt yeah 
That's awesome. You got it. Sounds sounds like you got it made. Coffee and uh, and music. Got your. Yeah, that's cool. Love both of those things. Um, you know the 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 one liner that I always use when when uh, when chatting with uh, with with new accounts when when we're like you know trading coffee industry stories. I always say that as as a musician with a philosophy degree, I was destined for a long life in the coffee industry. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, all right, Wes. Uh, is there anything else uh, that you want to say or? or promote or anything, any other projects in the works? Uh, I just want to leave it open to you to say anything. Yeah. Well, first of all, again, thank, thank you for, for inviting me. This is, this has been, been, uh, been really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the only thing that I, that I got in the works right now, um, I, I can't, I can't say too much about, um, cause I think we're waiting for final approval from, uh, from the author, but um, I got a, a selection of, of poems uh, from a from a favorite poetry book of mine um, that I put put music and, and melody to. Okay, um, that I'm going to be uh, hopefully going into into the studio at, at some point this year to to actually start recording that. Um, doing that with a label out of California called Sun Crew. Okay. Um, super awesome label. Really, really stoked to be be working with them. I um, mean, they have very, very graciously handled all of the uh, all of the intricacies of getting uh, copyright approval and dealing with agents and publishing companies and all of all of those hoops that they jump through is would not be possible without their help because I just would have said fuck it <laughs> and, and given up. And so. That's that's pretty much what I'm going to be focusing on on hopefully wrapping up this year at least wrapping up the recordings this year. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure you know de- depending on when the recordings get finished, it could be out late this year. Uh, it could be out you know early mid 2024 as as well. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of just take, taking a breather from from original music and uh, kind of kind of waiting. Yeah, you know, wait until the PR cycle is wrapped up with with this release, and then you know, looking forward to the the Sun Crew crew release, and then probably by that time, I'll you know, I'll be ready to uh, you know get back into the studio and do do some of my own stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I I dig all your stuff and. Uh... Always look forward to new releases. So, uh, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I just want to thank you very much for hopping on here with me. Um, I never take it for granted when somebody agrees to to do this with me. So, yeah, thanks, man. Um, well, it's 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 sweet, man. And uh, you know, maybe maybe Adam uh, said something to the to the similar effect. I mean, it's just always a um, you know, it's just always a pleasure to to hear from somebody who's you know, take, taking the time to, you know, to li- listen to my songs and, and support it. Um, you know, the, the le- least I can do is, you know, is sit down with you and, and a- answer some questions. And it's, it's great. I, I never take it for granted either. Right on. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll spread the, the gospel of West Tyree as far as I can. <laughs>
fall Moonlight Summer done came and went Damn the people, damn the parties Damn every dollar spent One bottle's empty Another seems heaven sent Truth is a stranger to stay Trouble's a friend that won't go away There are no lessons for beginners There are no winners in the blues Tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. 
Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a story to share or a guest to recommend, you can reach out to us via the website, which is raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, and take care.